everybody. Thank you for joining me for episode 57 of the Mark Geis Show. This is Mark Geis, your host, and got some things I want to talk about. I know I had said in my last episode that I was probably going to talk about The Case Against Education, the book by Brian Kaplan, in my next episode, and I basically recorded that entire thing yesterday, last night, but I had to cut it short, so I've got to put the finishing touches, kind of conclude that, add probably another 10 minutes or so to that, but I wanted to talk about something more pressing. I can kind of release that at any time because, yeah, it is a new book, but that's a topic that's going to continue to be relevant. and It doesn't require me to talk about it today, but today we had the decision finally come out from the Supreme Court on the case from, I believe it was from back in 2012 in Colorado where a baker refused to customize a cake for a gay couple that was getting married and they ended up they being the gay couple filed a complaint with the state civil rights commission in colorado uh against this baker the baker's name is is jack phillips and he said that he he would not design custom cakes for gay couples as a result of his religious beliefs so this couple took it to the state civil rights commission said that they were being discriminated against because they're homosexual and this case made it all the way up to uh to the supreme court and colorado has laws that that bar discrimination based on sexual orientation as well as you know the more common race religion gender uh, discrimination laws so the colorado civil rights commission ended up ruling in favor of the couple, as did the state Supreme Court, but then Phillips appealed it up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court did rule in favor of Phillips, saying that he could choose not to bake this this custom cake for the gay couple. But, you know, people see the headlines, and I think that this sets a whole new precedent that now people can can choose to not conduct business with gay people, but really this does not do that. This really applied specifically, this opinion applies specifically to this case. That's why all the headlines said that this was a narrow decision and it wasn't narrow in the sense of the voting was narrow. It was, it was seven to two in favor of uh, the ultimate ruling by the Supreme court. But it's basically their issue was with how the, uh, how the Colorado civil rights commission handled the issue and that in this particular case, Phillips the baker was justified in uh, in not baking the, the custom cake for the gay couple because of his religious beliefs. But this is not set a precedent that everybody can now do the same in the rest of the country. So those jumping for joy, if that's something they would do as a result of this, I mean, I think you should you should temper your uh, your optimism as a result of this happening. Uh, me. I don't know if I've really talked about this issue on this podcast before, but I think you have the right to either conduct or not conduct business with anybody you want for any reason. And I know that's not what the law says in, in the United States. Uh, But I think that, you know, you as a business person, you're selling a product, you can choose whether or not you're going to do business with this particular person. Nobody can force you to conduct business with any person morally, obviously, you know, the, the state, and I mean the state government has come in and forced people to do business with with anybody without being able to discriminate based on race or gender or religion or, you know, any other categorizations as well. Um, 
but I don't think these protections really are needed. I think, and I, and I've tried to think of, of what characteristic, but say that there's a, uh, there's a restaurant that the ownership absolutely despises men. They hate men. They, they only want to serve females. And the only reason why they're serving men is because they're forced by law to do so. But every time I come in there, they're talking about me in the back. They hate me. You know, they maybe do stuff to my food or who knows what they're doing. They're, they do not want to serve me, but they're only serving me because the law requires them to. Well, I, I don't want to give them my money. I would much rather know straight up these people do not want to do business with me. They can tell me they don't want to do business with me. They don't want to sell me something. I don't have a right to their product. I don't have a right for them to sell me whatever they're selling. They have to be willing to of their own free will. It's their property. They can choose whether or not to sell it to me for any reason. But I would much rather know that and be able to go and take my business to somebody who doesn't hate me irrationally for some characteristic of mine. And the same thing applies to anything else. So race, you know, if if there's somebody that's bigoted enough that they don't want to serve black people, would a black person want that person? Would they want to willingly give their money to that person? I don't think so. I mean, it would be the same thing if a business didn't want to serve white people. I wouldn't want to give that business my money if they hated me just based off of the color of my skin. So, and the great thing about the market is it really it really places a price on discrimination. So I think in, in almost any case, even if somebody is a bigot, even if a business owner is a bigot and hates people for some reason, for, you know, the color of their skin or their, or their, uh, their gender or whatever religion they happen to have, money talks. And if they want to act on that, they're going to have to forego significant profits. If they're going to want to actually turn paying customers down, that's going to have a cost to them. And somebody else, in most cases, is going to be able to outcompete them by being able to serve those customers. And that's not even taking into account all the publicity that that would get. I mean, could you imagine if, say, there were no laws, there were no discrimination laws for uh, that, that a business was able to turn down any person for any reason? I mean, could you imagine if, if a place refused to serve black people or refused to serve Jews or refused to serve Muslims or, or something like that? I mean, the outcry would be tremendous and most people, most decent people would say, well, I'm not, I'm not giving that business my money. That's ridiculous that they're just banning people from their, from their establishment based on one characteristic that these people can't control. I mean, I know that's what I would do. I think that's what most people would do. Maybe not everybody, but I would go take my business to the inclusive place. And I think that would happen in virtually every industry in virtually every place in the United States. So these, these discrimination laws, I think, are unnecessary. And what they really do is they initiate force against people like this baker. I know in this case, the Supreme Court ended up ruling in favor of the baker. But he had to fight this since 2012 all the way up to the Supreme Court before they finally would rule in his favor, before they would finally say that he could choose not to do business with particular people that he did not agree with. And I think he has every right to do that. Like I said, that's that's his property. And he can choose. It, it's both his property, you know, the, the business, uh, the materials that go into uh, what the cake is. And it's his time, too. So, I mean, we're effectively saying that you have to use your time 
for a particular customer for this particular reason, you do not have the right to refuse them. I, mean, I, th- I think it just really sets a dangerous precedent if you really think about it logically like that, beyond just thinking about, well, I'm for gay rights or you know I don't want gay people to be discriminated against. Obviously, yes, I'm for gay rights and I don't want gay people to be discriminated against. But inherently, if we, if we believe in property rights, if we believe that you own yourself, then you also have the right to discriminate. You, know, you have the right to be a bigot. And I, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with people being bigots. But if people have free will and people are able to do what they want with their property, then they're going to be able to be dumb. They have the right to be stupid. They have the right to be bigoted. So trying to use the forceful hand of government to stop this, I mean, all it does is it forces people who wouldn't associate with each other normally to have to associate with one another. And it forces you as a, as a customer to maybe support people who hate you irrationally for, for a particular reason, but they're only serving you, only allowing you to come into their establishment because they're required to by law. So, I mean, I don't think that's anything unique if if you've followed these cases and kind of followed what libertarians have generally said about this. I, I'm not saying anything new or anything unique on this topic, but I think it is important. It's important to continue to get that point out there that it's not about, you know, it's, it's not about the cake and it's not about the religious beliefs. It could be for any reason. And people want to use that like that's some special reason why somebody should be able to discriminate against somebody. It's like, no, I don't, I don't care what reason it is. If it is your religious beliefs or if it's some deep racism or some, some deep opinion that you have, it, it can be anything. I think you do have, have the right uh, to discriminate and that, that is derived from the freedom of association. Just like I can choose who does or who does not come into my apartment for any reason, no matter how valid or, or invalid that reason is to you, I can I can say I, I do not want you in my apartment. I do not want you on my property here. Uh, the same thing applies to a business. You own that business. That is your property. You can choose whether or not to allow somebody into that establishment and whether or not you want to choose to sell somebody something. It's all the same thing. There aren't these distinctions that that people want to make between uh, your, you know, personal property, your your personal residence, and your business property. So, I think that's really all I have to say about that. But I want to talk about I, I think what's a more interesting topic and where I, I might be offering something a little more unique than on the uh, bake a cake controversy and the the Supreme Court decision is a couple stories that came out over the weekend. The first one may have come out late last week. It may have been like Thursday or Friday or something, but that story was the uh, the New Jersey cop on the beach who the, the video first came out and it was a short clip taken by somebody else on the beach and he punched uh, a, a small woman, small girl, you know, she ended up being, I think, 20 years old or so, but, you know, a, a petite girl multiple times in the back of the head while he was, while he had her basically pinned to the ground. And that was what first came out. And of course, you know, it's hard to tell really what happened just from, just from that video. But then later was released the, 
the body cam footage and it showed the interaction between this woman and the police, what happened leading up to it, and then kind of the beginning of the, the physical confrontation. You can actually see when he's punching her in the head. And watching that, I mean, she's not the most sympathetic figure in the world, but I, do, I don't think the cops handled it well whatsoever. They, they came up to her. First of all, they're out, you know, bothering people on this beach, trying to find people underage drinking. And this woman had alcohol on her, but they, they had her take a breathalyzer test. She passed the breathalyzer test, so she hadn't been drinking alcohol. They had alcohol with them, but n- none of it was opened. And she was kind of having an argument back and forth about uh, back and forth with them saying that I didn't drink any any alcohol you know you can't do anything to me and they're saying that they want to dump out all the alcohol they have some kind of further words back and forth and then uh, she will not give them her last name because she's being belligerent they, they want to write her up she won't give them her last name so then they say, he says to his partner, give me the cuffs, give me the handcuffs. And she starts to kind of back away, uh, continues to to resist, I guess you would say. And he says, you're going to get dropped. And he approaches her. She's backing away, yelling for who I presume is, is her boyfriend. It's either Matt or Max. She keeps yelling out that name. And then he gets close to her. Uh, people say it looks like she spits at him and kind of pushes his chest and then he takes her down has her pinned down and then she keeps yelling and resisting and then eventually he punches her multiple times in the back of the head so what you that ending part was what you could see in the original video and like i said you know she was she's not the the most sympathetic figure she is being rude but i think she's being rightfully rude that think about think about what's happening there that the police officers are, are there on the beach bothering people. You're just trying to hang out. She had her daughter there. Uh, she happens to have alcohol in her possession but hasn't drank anything yet. They're harassing her, and uh, she thinks, I've done nothing wrong, and they continue to escalate it. And then when she is disrespectful to them, he does threaten her first, says, you're going to get dropped, meaning, you know, I'm going to, take you away. I'm going to pin you to the ground. That's what I would take that to mean. So, I mean, he makes the first threat physically toward her. And then really that's where the, that's where a lot of the problem is with these police interactions where the police see themselves as being above the law, that, that, that the same morals don't apply to them as apply to the rest of us. So they can make a, a physical threat toward somebody when no physical threat has been made toward them. And once a physical threat is made by somebody toward you and, and they approach you, then you are justified to act in self-defense. And I think that's what she did when she pushed him. He said, you're going to get dropped. And then he's approaching her. There's also somebody who's much bigger than her. So he physically threatens her, approaches her, and then she pushes him because he's attacking her. You know, think about any other, any other two people in the world and that same interaction happens and he threatens her physically as he's approaching her and then she pushes him. Would you say that she started it? No, I would say he started it. 
and he couldn't stand that she was being disrespectful toward him. She could, he couldn't stand that she wasn't just standing there and, and willingly complying. So that's when he decided to escalate it and, and make it something physical. So you can hear people around saying, stop resisting, stop resisting, stop resisting. And I agree that it's, it's easier for you to, to not resist, to, to be polite when you're interacting with police officers. I, it's the same thing like if you think the, the income tax is immoral and that it's theft, it's still a lot easier for you probably to comply and to, to do it correctly rather than to take the risk of being thrown in jail or being you know taken away from your family or, or having even more taken from you later. It's the same thing like dealing with the police. You just, it, it's easier for you if you comply and do what they say and are polite. But just because everybody doesn't act that way, it doesn't mean that the, the morals change. The facts remain that this police officer made this something physical. And I think she was defending herself. And then once he had her pinned on the ground, she continued to resist. And then he had to get in the last shots and punch her multiple times in the back of the head. And even if you hadn't seen everything leading up to it, if you had just seen the the last video, it really doesn't even matter what happened before that point. I mean, he had her down. She didn't have a weapon. Um, he, he's way bigger than her. For him to have to punch her in the head multiple times is just in an obvious excessive use of force and you see a lot of people trying to defend it you know trying to impugn her character and and like I said I agree that the way that she conducted herself wasn't exemplary and that she's not she's not an incredibly sympathetic figure in that situation but when you watch that footage she didn't she didn't start it she didn't start the physical nature of that altercation. She also didn't start the verbal part of that altercation. They came up and started bothering her. She wasn't bothering anybody else. Um, she wasn't even drinking openly. I mean, even if she was drinking openly, I think it would be, it, it, it's obviously an abusive state power to be out there uh, just harassing people who are sitting around on a beach peacefully. But even if you accept the legitimacy of those of those laws and the, the police being out there and, and trying to enforce those laws they're the ones who who continued to harass her i think they they didn't like that that they weren't right and that's what she was saying she said you just don't like that i passed the breathalyzer test that i wasn't drunk you thought i was drunk and i wasn't drunk so now you're mad and and you want to still find a way to get me in trouble because kind of i showed you up and i really do think that that's what happens or that's what happened in that situation and we've got a big problem with not holding up the police to the same standards that we hold up everybody else. You can't give police powers that you do not have as an individual. So if we're going to accept the government's role in in providing policing, which, you know, that's a that's a conversation for another day. But if we're going to accept that, then all these laws that that don't have a victim, you know, I can't go up to somebody that's uh, that's sitting in a public place that they're peacefully not bothering anybody that has a drink in their hand and go up and ask them for their identification. And uh, then if they're under 21 to either pour out the, the alcohol they have in their hand or uh, to, to 
put them in handcuffs and take them and, and throw them into my basement or something. So how can I possibly cede that to the police? If I can't do it as an individual, then where do the police get the power to do that from? And there's, there's no good answer for that. But if we accept government's role to provide a police force, what they can do is to stop violent crime or stop, stop crime that has a victim so just like I could, if I saw somebody getting robbed, I could use the violent force necessary to stop the robbery from happening. I could use the, the necessary force in that situation. Or if I saw somebody about to get murdered or somebody, to, somebody pulls out a gun in a crowd and is threatening people or starting to shoot people, you know, I can kill that person as an individual because I'm stopping, I'm using the necessary force to stop other violence from happening. But I can't go and I can't, you know, uh, somebody smoking a joint in public, I can't go and lock that person up and throw them in my basement. There's, there's no victim there. I can't go up and shoot them or, you know, whatever you want to say. I can't, I don't have the right to go and do that. So how could we possibly cede that right to the police? And this is one of those victimless crimes, them being, them not even drinking in public, them just happening, happening to have, you know, the liquid with them, not even opened. Now, I, you know, I can go into that deeper, but I, I don't know how much further I can take that point. I think my point is, is across there. I think one of the important parts of this video uh, or this, this situation and the resulting news stories is that it wasn't complicated by race, that this, this was a white girl and a white cop. So th there, are, there weren't those associated race issues that come out in a lot of these situations where it's a white cop being violent toward uh, toward a, a black suspect or a, a black individual. And that always ends up degenerating into uh, a lot of a racial, a lot of racial back and forth. And I've done prior episodes where I've talked about the excessive violence by police really does impact everybody. And to try to present it as being solely a, a racial issue is kind of misleading. But I think it's also important to note that the war on drugs, especially, uh, that has certainly disproportionately affected minorities and, and primarily blacks. So I think that is important to keep in mind that this that there is a, a racial element to it, but that this affects everybody, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, you know, and I think that we will get the most sympathy or, you know, the, the people talking about these issues will get the most sympathy once we get that across, that this this isn't just impacting particular communities in the United States, that this is something that, that really does affect us all. And of course, you can tailor that message to, to particular groups. And I've got no problem with somebody making the point that, yes, this does disproportionately affect blacks, to use, to, to use that as an example. Um, when you're presenting to a, a predominantly black audience, say. But to frame this as being solely like white cops are racist against black people, and that's the reason for excessive police violence, it's just really oversimplifying the issue, in my opinion. Really, I think what's causing it is you've got uh, these, these just ridiculous laws. I, I talked about the war on drugs. I think that's the most obvious example of... Uh, of government trying to go out and trying to punish people for these these crimes where there isn't a victim and just failing miserably at it and drugs being more available than they ever have been before despite decades and decades of, of trying to fight this war on drugs 
and then you send the police out there to try to enforce these laws. And of course, people resist. People hate being told what to do. You know, when they when there's obviously no victim, and just just think about the, the all the polling that's been done on the number of people who have who have smoked marijuana illegally. And this is when it was when it was illegal in every state, and it still is illegal federally. But just the number of people who have who have broken that one law and and realized that obviously that law there there isn't morality behind that law. And there's no victim that comes from me breaking that law. And people realize that. And then when when the cops try to enforce those laws, of course people are going to resist. Of course people are going to grow to, to dislike the cops more and more as a result of them trying to mess with people's business. You can point at some other victimless crimes too, like, you know, harassing prostitutes. That's another classic victimless crime or... Um, gambling is another one. You know these these voluntary activities where two parties are are contracting voluntarily, and then the police try to come in and disrupt that. Of course, you're gonna you're gonna foster disdain for the police. And then what happens when that hap- when when people start disliking the police more and more because they're trying to enforce all these illegitimate laws? Well, then the police they start to defend themselves. They start to think that, well, with all this resistance, now we need to escalate the violence. We need to get certain messages across. You know, we need to be tougher on these people. That's that's the only way we're going to get them to behave the way that we want them to behave. And then what happens when, when that happens? People dislike the police even more. And it just, it, it feeds on itself and gets to the situation where we are today. And then you even, you enhance that with, all the the military the, the military grade type weapons that a lot of police forces now have. I mean, look at the the riot gear. Whenever there's whenever there's some sort of uh, big demonstration that might turn might turn violent or something, and the police show up, just just look at some of the vehicles and some of the gear that they have for these riots. I mean, it's it's incredible, and and that's not how it's been historically. So I think that's how we got where we are, and I I don't see anything changing anytime quickly unless we really do do something serious about this war on drugs and about uh, the police having this attitude that they need to be extra tough on crime and that that's the way that it that's the way that these things are going to be stopped it's been a disaster to this point and it's going to continue to be a disaster and I guess we're seeing some inroads made in the war on drugs you know some states are legalizing it they're standing up to the federal uh, they're saying up to the federal government. Of course, I mean, that's only marijuana. That's not all the other drugs that are still a major issue. Of course, you know, marijuana is used by far more people than all than all the harder drugs after that. But uh, I guess we're, we're seeing some strides, but I, I don't see any strides really being made at the policing level, being made in uh, in the number of people killed by police. Another topic that I want to talk about that's very related to this, it was the second thing that I was talking about. I, I didn't even tease this when I first started talking about law enforcement. This wasn't the, the police, but the the video that I'm sure most of you have seen with the, the FBI agent dancing drunk in a bar and he does a backflip and he has his gun uh, in, in the back of his pants and it comes out, it's on the ground and when he goes to pick it up, it looks like his, his finger actually was on the trigger and he shoots it and ends up shooting somebody now obviously and this is something that 
can happen to, to private individuals, uh, a private individual carrying on their own person, this could happen to them too. Uh, and we don't need any further evidence really that, that people in law enforcement are just flawed human beings like the rest of us. But where the issue comes in is that uh, when we talk about, about gun control, and about some people are, some people want to outright, outright ban guns and i know that right away all the all the opposition says no nobody actually wants to do that nobody actually wants to ban guns well i i, I tell you go look on twitter and see what people are saying and there are plenty of people who would love to ban guns if they could and and are just trying to move in that direction and ultimately would like to be there but think about what happens when you uh, when you ban guns when you ban private gun ownership Will the, the FBI agent be giving up his weapon? No, he'll still be carrying his weapon and you know, be above the rules of, of even private establishments to be able to bring his weapon where he wants to because he's an FBI agent. Same thing with the police. They'll still be able to carry their weapons and still be above uh, even what private establishments would like. Uh, if they, you know, if a private establishment wants to allow people to bring in guns or, or doesn't want to, that's that's their prerogative. That kind of goes back to what we're talking about with uh, with private property at the very beginning of the show. Uh, so the FBI agents won't be won't be giving up their weapons, and look at how, I mean, look at how irresponsible one of one of them is here, and, and it's kind of a funny story. I think people are watching it because it's funny and it is kind of funny but it's really sad at the same time obviously it's sad because somebody somebody got shot but think about some people want to basically put FBI agents the police up on this this pedestal above the rest of us but we have to remember that these are flawed human beings like the rest of us and, and when you're talking about gun control um, when, when the police use their guns to round up the rest of our guns now you're going to have the you're going to have guns in the hands of these other flawed human beings who are just as flawed as the as the general populace if not more so you know you could you could argue that that the police force does attract people that are more aggressive than the average person i think that's that's definitely not a not a big leap to make uh so that maybe they're actually less fit to, to own guns than, than the average person. You could probably make that argument. Um, but, but they will still have these weapons. And I didn't see people really making that point. I didn't really, there, there wasn't that much more to say uh, beyond kind of pointing out the, the humor in that, but also the, the tragic side of it too. Because most of the stories that come up now, there is a humorous aspect to them and uh, a tragic aspect to them too. So I don't think I have anything to add beyond that. Um, I will have the episode coming out about the case against education sometime this week. Uh, thank you for listening. I, I hope that that ends up being a good one. I enjoyed recording what I've recorded so far. So we'll talk to you again soon, and have a great few days.